Welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast, a weekly show featuring B2B sales leaders and executives. Hosted by five-time CRO John McMahon and force management co-founder John Kaplan, the show goes behind the scenes with the people who have been there, done that, and seen the results. If you enjoy our content, please subscribe, rate, and review the show to help us reach more people. Revenue Builders is brought to you by Force Management. We help companies improve sales performance, executing the growth strategy at the point of sale. Find us at forcemanagement.com. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast. I'm John McMahon, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, the big man, John Kaplan. Hey, Cap, our special guest today is Dan Barrett, who's the Senior Vice President of Customer Success at MongoDB. Dan started his career in sales at IBM in the UK for a couple of years before moving to Q Associates in new business sales in the public sector. Then Dan joined Symantec in an enterprise new business sales role before moving to ServiceNow as a sales director for new business. After four years at ServiceNow, Dan joined MongoDB as a regional director for the UK and Ireland. Since then, Dan has been promoted multiple times into the role as Vice President Northern Europe before accepting the role he's in now as Senior Vice President of Customer Success. Welcome, Dan Barrett. It's been a while. How are you, Dan? All right, thank you. How are you? Good. That's it. You all right? I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful. I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. Say hi to John Kaplan. Cap, say hi to Dan. Dan, nice to meet you, brother. Heard a lot about you. Nice to meet you, too. It's a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. So, Dan, you have a unique background in the sense that you were, especially for like a senior vice president and a customer success, because you were a salesperson your entire career. You were the VP of Northern Europe for MongoDB when you were asked by to run by Cedric, the CRO, to run customer success and a couple other organizations. What were your thoughts when you were approached by Cedric is to run, you know, customer success? Did he... Did you think he was crazy or did you think that you were crazy uh, for entertaining the idea? Well, uh, as you know, he's a good sales guy, right? So uh, yeah. so he, <laughs> he was good at selling me on the uh, on the idea. Um, I think, to be honest with you, at the time, I wasn't uh, being really honest. I wasn't 100% sure. Um, but um, I, I definitely needed to do something new as, you know, I've been doing the same role for a long time and, and I needed a change. Um, but, you know, I think when he first approached me, I was like, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know anything about customer success. Like I, I actually, as a rep, I never even worked with a CSM. It's like a relatively new thing. Um, when I was a rep at, um, at service now, we didn't even have CSMs then. So I'd never even worked with a CSM. Um, so it was a little, a little, um, I guess daunting or, or, a, you know, a, a step into the unknown, um, and a lot of people like, you know, like in interviews or, you know, if I'm, if I'm meeting new people, it's the first thing they always ask me, like, how, how did you like, how how and why did you make the change? And right. then the other thing they always ask me is like, it must be so different. Like it must be so different to sales. Um, and the real, I think the reality is at a certain level, like leading a team, a lot of things are very similar. They're, they're the same. Like, are you recruiting well? 
Um, you know, do you have a good plan? Are you measuring the right things? Are you developing your team and developing people? Obviously, like the job is different, um, but a lot of things are very, are very similar. And um, what made you decide that, okay, this is something that I, I'm willing to do? Was apart, it something you heard Cedric's, about the uh, opportunity? Apart from, yeah. Yeah. Apart from Cedric's uh, sales skills in, in selling me on the, on the, on the role, you know, I think my, my long-term, um, yeah, my long-term goal, I think, is to is to be a CRO, and I think the modern CRO, um, you know, just having kind of top-down large enterprise sales um, is, you know, is probably not enough anymore. I, you know, I think the world of of enterprise software and SaaS has changed a lot over the last few years, as as you guys will know, and so you know, we're living in this. Um, you know, consumption-driven world where, um, and and I'm very you know self-service and kind of product-led forward, and so the you know the that that role is now very different to what it used to be before, and so you need to be able to and customer success is a key part of that, um, and so you know I think sales, you know, a lot of people say like you moved out of sales, I, I don't really feel like I did. I, I think it's all you know, it's all. I mean, most most of the the value, the lifetime value you get from a customer happens post when you sign the first deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so understanding that part of the business and building those kind of skills, um, you know, was, was really the, the, um, you know, one of the primary drivers for me. And plus, because it's, it, it has such an opportunity to make a huge business impact. Yeah. And now that you're in the role, how often are salespeople, cause you said you never interfaced with CSMs, how often are salespeople interfacing with you and your team? Um, I mean, every day. I think that was like the the first job um, was to was to get the sales team and the CSM team much tighter aligned. Like that was like basically job number one when I when I when I started because they used to sit in like completely different functions. Um, you know, almost by design, they were kind of kept separate, and it made no sense to me. And so, like now, they should be joined at the hip. Um, you know, and a key part of the the. The so you know the the field team the the rep the SA the CSM should all be joined at the hip. Yeah, um, and how are you organized now? You say I know that you have some other groups besides just uh, besides customer success. What other groups do you also have? Yeah, so I have um, I have customer success, I have product led sales, uh, account management, and renewal. So product led sales is. A team um, that we have about forty-five thousand self-service customers um, that you know sign up through the website, swipe their credit card, uh, or through you know the cloud providers marketplace. Um, you know, and they could be everything from like a student or a, you know developer working on something that's like a home project, through to like huge customers that end up being like multi-million-dollar customers. And the job of this team is to, I guess, kind of sift for gold. Um, so to try and identify the the high potential accounts within that segment. So make sure they have an amazing experience for the workload they've already selected Mongo for, but then to acquire new workloads at scale. So they're kind of like a high velocity workload acquisition engine and that interlock between self-service and uh, and the field. So they also look for outlier accounts. And there's a commonality, it sounds like, between customer success and product-led sales because those self-service customers initially need to be nurtured 
and implement the solution the right way, like you discussed, so that there can be re renewals and there can be upsells, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, they, you know, it's it's super important because they, you know, the thing about Mongo is it's a complex product. Um, you know, it's a data platform. Um, one of its major benefits is its simplicity and it's super easy to get started. But like, it's the last five percent that makes a difference between, you know. Do they have an amazing go live or do they have performance issues in the future as they start to scale or increasingly in today's climate, are they getting best bang for the buck? Like, um, you know, obviously capital is, is a lot less free and easy than it was 12, 18 months ago. And so like a big part of the, you know, the, the work that we help our customers with in that space is making sure that they can optimize their footprint as small as possible. So before we, um, before we dive deeper into those mechanics, I really want to get into those. You said something very interesting that I'd like you to kind of level set the audience on. We've got a bunch of people listening, Dan. We have we have executives, we have sellers, we have uh, technical people, we have financial institutions uh, that listen. I, I wonder if you wouldn't mind, you said when you showed up, we were in silos. We were. Can you just kind of describe the problem statement before you took over and kind of and kind of brought your uh, brought your processes in place. Can you help us get uh, familiar with our, our audience familiar to what do the problems look like? So if somebody goes into a company and you don't have alignment between you know customer success and 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 enterprise sales or sales at the front end part, can you tell us what those problems typically start to look like so our so our audience can identify with them? Yeah, I mean, they were, you know, everything from the basic ones, like, you know, the the rep or the sales leader never turns up to my weekly meetings. Um, it's like a good telltale sign. And, you know, the the in my experience of being a sales leader, the reason you don't turn up to meetings is because people don't add any value to you. Like you're, you're busy. It's a bit like uh, it's a bit like the modern equivalent of John's uh, in tray. Uh, you know, like if, if the memos aren't any adding any value to you, you just put them in yeah. the bin, right? And so, right. like, you know, there's lots of people that want to have a meeting with you. And if you're not adding value to to that sales leader, to that rep, like, why would they spend their time meeting with you on a weekly basis? Um, and so I think there was like a, um, there was a complete disconnect between like measurement and metrics of like how the teams were compensated but even more fundamentally, even understanding like how each teams were compensated and how the work of each team actually complemented uh, each other. Uh, and so we, the first thing we did was just like level set on like what are, what do reps care about? What do they get paid on? What do sales leaders care about? What do they get paid on? Like how do you map into that? How do you add value? How does the great work that you do um, actually impact them on a day to day basis? And so very quickly. You know, as soon as you start adding value, people want to meet with you. So I think that would be the the, the first thing is like that misalignment of, um, you know, value. How do you know? Um, how do you know who does what when? So like when I walk into companies, I normally ask on this subject. I'm like, hey, who owns client success? And that's a great discovery question, open ended, with people answering it all different kind of ways. They answer it from a comp perspective. They answer it from a client engagement perspective. Um, how did you bring everything into kind of one site? Like um, who's doing what, when, how do you figure that out? Um, 
I mean, that's that, that has been a journey. Uh, yeah. It's like it's not it's not an easy thing. Um, you know, roles and responsibilities. Because there's like there's like the theoretical of like who should do what. Right. But then there's the reality of like who has the skills. Uh, and then, you know, over time, you have to build trust. We have, first of all, you have to build the skills. Like, you know, um, at the end of the day, um, you know, the for C- CSMs actually have to have an impact. Like, you know, we, we, you know, there's, there's a lot of focus right now on, uh, obviously on, on cost and making sure that, um, you know, CEO, CFO are getting returned for their investment. And so, you know, one of the key things is we need to be able to measure the impact that we have as an organization, but more fundamentally that we actually have to have the impact in the first place. Like, you know, you have to be making a difference. Um, you know, think of it as like changing the course of history. Like our job isn't just to report on history. Amen. And just to show up and watch it happen, our job is to actually change the course of history. So, you know, like us just turning up for check-ins with customers and like seeing how they're doing and like having kind of tea and tea and biscuits meetings, that's not really going to change the outcome. What we need, you know, our teams doing is and same with like reps, right? Their their job is to change, you know, that the outcome that will happen by the interactions they have with our customer. And so, you know, our our job as as CS or you know or product led or whatever whichever team it is 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 to actually have a meaningful impact on the outcomes our customers are trying to achieve. Um, then we need to be able to measure it, and then we need to be able to you know to to report on it. Now, Dan, I know that you significantly reduced you know churn while you've been there, and it's instead of having those as you would call it those team biscuit meetings or a lot of times i used to that's, refer- a, that's a british thing it'd be like a coffee and donuts meeting in, yeah in coffee and donuts team biscuit yeah. is, is yeah. an english thing right or a uk thing this sounds better yeah it does sound better yeah doesn't sound as derogatory maybe that's right <laughs> but you moved basically from like break fix which customer success came from not necessarily at mongo but traditionally and you moved more towards a proactive approach to customer success, like you said, not waiting until something's broken, but trying to change the course of history. Can you talk a little bit about how you did that with the team? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think there was a, there was a number of things, but like if I if I if I tried to boil it down to like the most simple piece, and this is I guess where my um, you know sales background came in. It was just running, you know, having a disciplined process in the same way as you would around like forecast or pipeline inspection. It was like reviewing risk. So, you know, on a on a weekly basis, we were reporting and reviewing risk. So, like that's just the, you know, the making sure we can identify it. But then it was actually doing something about it. So, you know, there's um until the customer actually churns or says they're not going to renew, like you still have a chance. And obviously the earlier and earlier that you can engage with um, with the customer, the better chance you have of fixing their problems and getting them happy. And so all we read, you know, say all we really did, it was obviously a lot of work and and the team did some incredible work in, in actually working with our customers. We just put some discipline in place in terms of reviewing risks on a weekly basis and going to attack them as early as we can. And then bringing like the whole, um, you know, resources of the company to bear to try and fix those problems. 
And do you feel like you had to change the profile of some of the people that you're hiring now? Or was it a combination of maybe changing some of the profiles of the people you hire and doing some training and enablement? Uh, I think it's a bit of both. I think, um, you know, when I, when I took over, you know, when I took over CS, we were probably 50 people. Um, you know, we're now, I think my all was like, I don't know, 300 people. Um, and, and so you, you know, it's a bit like the people that get you from like naught to a hundred million versus the people that get you from a hundred million to a billion and the people that get you from a billion on, it's a different set of skills in certain situations, but it's also what people enjoy. And so the role was very like free and easy. Like you could come in, you had your set of accounts and like you could go and do whatever you wanted. Whereas now, you know, we we have a much more sort of well-defined process and set of playbooks that are kind of instrumented and with, with kind of metrics. And so it's a different job than it was before. So part of it was, um, might have been a skill thing, but part of it was also like a will thing. Like did people actually want to be, doing that kind of job, want to be part of that role. Um, you know, there's much more accountability expected from a CSM today than then. Um, you know, more metrics driven. Um, I think, uh, but there's been a huge amount of development. Um, and, and, you know, I think one of the things that um, I'm most proud of is actually we, we developed a lot of our internal talent to promote through uh, into, into, you know, first, second, uh, line leaders and kind of blending that with bringing some experience in from the outside who have managed and led bigger teams, but also trying to keep that DNA of, of like, you know, the Mongo culture, um, you know, I think has, has been what's enabled us to, to kind of scale and grow. Let's stay on that topic for just a second, very specifically on profiles. I'd like you to make a couple of comments. What have you learned about those skills and attributes that tend to lend themselves better for this role if it's different at all than a regular than uh than than sales and then also if you wouldn't mind commenting on cs leaders i find that companies just struggle putting the right people like you putting the right people in place so you could you comment on those two um so i think in obviously the profile is different right like you know a a rep versus csm is 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 a different profile but there are some similarities um you know coachability drive um i think i think the big i think curiosity as well yeah big one for success yeah yeah um but i think also for reps like you know great reps are are also curious um and interested in genuinely interested in like what their customers are trying to do um i think with cs it's that customer centricity like the you know the 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 biggest strength i think of a great csm is that they just want to go above and beyond for their customers like they are they are you know they are highly motivated by doing a great job for our customers and outcomes and right rep, yeah <laughs> i'm not saying reps aren't but you know they their their motivations are you know they they're, they like to win and they like you know like they like to beat their numbers like uh, my team does but they would rather get a great outcome for the customer um first like that's the thing that gets them out of bed in the morning how about the leaders i I find people really don't get this right man they 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 mess it up and leaders dan sometimes i like i give advice to people i'm like hey be the same before you try to be different 
So a lot of people that go in these roles in customer success, they're trying to create their own processes, their own metrics, their own mantras or what have you. And they create these islands. Um, how do you, what is a, what is a good profile of a success leader right now? Um, it's a really good question. I think, I think if I think about like my leadership team, um, you know, I look for people that, um, have experience and that want to like own a number. Yeah. So even though they don't own like a, you know, like a new business number or the fact they, they do own a growth number, uh, it's that accountability to the number, I think is the biggest thing that, um, th there's, that is not pervasive across every CS organization. Uh, and so I think for me, that's like the non-negotiable, um, is that, is that accountability to the number? Um, <clears throat> I think the. At a broader sense, though, like, you know, how, why, how people kind of get it wrong. You know, I think it's also about making sure that you are building a CS org for the right reasons and, um, and that customer success is not like the panacea to everything. Like it's not a silver bullet bullet to a product that doesn't work, mm -hmm. uh, or a product that doesn't have product market fit or um you know bad deals like this you know this like they're they're good but they're not they're not magicians so um you know quite often it's used as like a sticking plaster but there's more fundamental issues that that need to be fixed first and then dan when you went in how difficult was it for you to truly understand the root causes of churn so what you you've talked about you put some discipline into a process you reviewed risk those sound like you know, really good behaviors for any organization. But then at the same time, you know, you were new to this opportunity. How difficult was it for you to get down to what are the real root causes of churn? Uh, it's actually really hard and it's still really hard today because I think for a couple of reasons. One, like we have like, you know, reporting and risk categories and like we can report just like everybody else. Right. But the reality is that most of these situations are much more complicated, much more nuanced than like a single like subcategory. Like, you know, for customer, customer, you know, like the, for example, a you know, we could, we could report that the customers left because of price. Or the reality is the customer never leaves because of price. Mm -hmm. Customer leaves because they weren't getting value or, and, and then the root cause of that could be because um, you know, we overpromised the customer when we, you know, or it, or it wasn't a good fit, good use case fit in the first place, or they had a, uh, bad implementation that meant that they were oversized. Like there's lots of like root cause issues. So it's, and, and often it's two or three of these things combined together and a series of things over a period of time that causes the, um, you know the the churn reason if you like and so you know i think it's important to separate out like the end reason versus the root causes and there isn't really any substitute for that than like just getting into the details and talking to customers and i think that's like one of the big things um you know if you really want to be customer centric uh, i actually i actually um you were talking about it in another one of your podcasts about like voice of the customer uh, and actually truly listening to like what your customers say and really thinking about like, well, are the decisions that we're making as a business 
really what our customers need or want. Like, I don't know, product roadmap would be a classic example of like, are we actually building things our customers want and need versus like the things that we want to build? Or, um, you know, we designed a process for like onboarding our customers. Uh, did we ever like talk to a customer and find out like, what do they actually need during that process? Like what's most value? And you find that a lot of times you don't, like you just, you're, you're in a room, you're on a whiteboard, you're doing stuff because you think you know better. And, and and actually there is no substitute just to actually go and talk to customers and understand like what really went wrong. What can we do better? Like, tell me about your experience. And you learn so much. Um, do you think that customers today are expecting you to take steps to jointly own their business outcome like johnny was talking about business outcomes where you understand their goals you develop a methodology to achieve those goals you know maybe set checkpoints to monitor the progress towards those goals are you finding that more and more customers are asking you to to accept responsibility for that along with them and and if yes how does that manifest itself and how do you respond as a company if they say um we want you. We want you to have skin in the game. So we're willing to pay you, but we got to get outcomes. Have you faced that, Dan? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's definitely becoming more and more prevalent from our professional services organization. Like, yeah, okay, especially as we're starting to get into like building actual applications, we want to be on the hook for the actual delivery. Um, but I think maybe not going quite that extreme. I think customers' expectations are changing and are growing. You know, I think what is what good looked like two or three years ago, um, you know, is, is probably below par. Um, and the cost of change for organizations so for customers now is is lower than it ever has been before. They have more choices. It's easier to change. Um, you know, see one of the one of the interesting journeys that Mongo's been on over the last couple of years is is kind of moving to a consumption based model. Right. Um, and you know, I, mem I remember when um, I remember when we moved from like perpetual to subscription. It was like it's the ultimate test of value. Like if you're not getting value, you can just turn your subscription off. Sure, but I've just I've just given you a three year commit for like a million bucks and spent six months and two hundred fifty thousand dollars in implementing the software. Yeah, I can change, but it's not that easy. In mm -hmm. a consumption world where customers sign a zero dollar commit contract, they only pay for what they use. That's like the real test of it. And there are like other options that they can go and switch to, you know, easily. Then and so therefore you only get you only getting paid if your customer's using your software. You only book revenue when your customer is using your software. And the customer only uses your software when they're getting value from it. Like that's the, the sort of ultimate test of value. And so customers' expectations now uh, are higher than they ever were before. And it's easier for them to change anyway before. And so if you're not getting customers to their business outcomes, like you know, during the sales process, we capture like, you know, what are the business outcomes they're trying to uh, they're trying to achieve. Right. As we go through to onboarding, you know, we align on these are the success metrics. This is the, you know, this is the business outcome. And here is the plan to get there. That's like step one. But then the other piece is like actually, you know, come back to this changing the course of the history. It's not it's no, no good just like reporting on what it is they want to do. How are you going to help them get to those outcomes? Mm -hmm. So Dan, how do you marry up those um how do you marry up those actions? You said focus on business outcomes. You've got a selling organization, you've got a customer success organization, you have a, a services organization. 
I find that companies, if they don't believe you understand their business and you don't demonstrate that you've listened to them throughout the engagement, they're gone in today's environment. So how do you ensure that everybody's using the same language or or how does it carry forward? How do you avoid like handoffs or whatever? Does that make sense? Yeah. The typical yeah, yeah, problems, sure. no, typical no, problems in alignment. That's a, great, that's a great question. I mean, we spent, um, we spent the last two years building and rolling out our effectively our customer journey and getting all of the customer facing teams aligned to that journey, uh, including even organizing our teams around it, like we're actually segmenting our uh, our sales teams, our, our go-to-market teams aligned to that customer journey. And then trying to, uh, you know, one of the investments that we've made in the last kind of 18 months is actually building tooling and systems to really orchestrate and join up that end-to-end journey. Uh, so that we're trying to make the handovers as seamless for our customers and for our internal teams and efficient right. as possible. And so, like you know, we're not we are by no means um, at the finish line there, but it's it's making a a big difference in terms of of trying to join up the experience for our customers. Awesome. Hey, I got a question for both you guys, real quick, before we change gears. Um, if People are moving to consumption. If that's the way the industry and software is really going and people are looking for outcomes and insights into the business, I hear customers saying, if you can provide me insights to my usage and how to use it and how to do it better, I'll consume more. So that's why customer success is more and more important now than it's ever been. But you got to help me. The data last year said the first people to go in the software industry last year were customer success when they made cuts. Everybody's making, not everybody, but a lot of people were making cuts last yep. year. Why is it that the first thing that they go to is cutting customer success? What's your opinion on that, Dan? Or, or am I full of am I full of it? Um, I mean, no. I, I think I think it's a fair point. I think the biggest reason is because I think a lot of customer success organizations either aren't delivering an impact. Or they aren't able to demonstrate and measure the business impact. Like you know, you, we've done a lot of work, John, as you, as you know, over the last kind of twelve months on like payback periods and like ROI. And so, um, but obviously, that that fundamentally, you have to actually be able to deliver a, a payback and a value in the first place. But if you do that, um, then being able to measure it and demonstrate it, uh, and, and for a lot of organisations, that they're not able to do that. And so, I think it's an easy um it's an easy thing to cut um if you know if you're not if you're not having an impact or you're not able to measure that impact it's an easy it's an easy line item to um to remove from um from the balance sheet so you're probably saying that if companies are talking about cutting in that area the first thing you'd look for is well how are we measuring success and what you're saying is if a lot of companies don't have good metrics and good measurements in place about what outcomes should be at what particular points of the engagement, that's probably why they'd go to cutting any organization first without the data. Um, so that's a really, or maybe, really yeah. Or maybe they're not even having the impact in the first place, right? Like that's yeah. that's, that's that's the other thing. But you know, if you if you can demonstrate like here's the impact of of CS or PLS, like this is how much how many dollars they save the organization every year. And here's how many dollars they find in new opportunities that they pass to the sales team every year. Um, then 
and obviously, and if that number is attractive, then it's a you know it's a, it's an easy investment decision. Uh, and and if you can measure it, you can also improve it. And so, uh, you know, we um, we 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 still have opportunity to 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 kind of improve in some of those areas uh, internally. But at least we can measure it and we can deliver a return. Um, yeah. And you know, on, on a go ahead, Dan. Sorry, sorry. You I was going to say, you know, on, on a on a um, you know billion dollar plus renewal base. Uh, a percent either way makes a pretty big difference uh, in terms of revenue. Um, And so, uh, you know, it becomes even more important the bigger you get. Um, That's exactly what I was going to say. You know, I think most CEOs and CFOs look at CS as a cost center. And to Dan's point, you know, if you can't really measure it and they can't see an impact and nothing's changing, okay, I'll just cut some people in there because I'm not really, Mm -hmm. I can't show that I'm getting any value for my money for every head that's in CS, what what am I what am I getting in return? But if you're doing the type of job that Dan is doing, where he's decreased churn, and to Dan's point, for every decrease in one percentage point of churn, what does that equate to in revenue for the company, right? And and not only that revenue in the company, but you know, a lost customer, a new referenced customer, a customer that might help you extend a new upsell or reference to another customer in another organization. What is that worth? Right. And when you can measure that and see it, then also I think you start to see that like Dan is building instrumentation into the software also, where he can see like what you know customers are doing so they can get more triggers to CS to become more efficient. So now you start to see, okay, well, what is the cost for me to manage every customer? And how many CSMs do I need per customer? Is that going down or up? So if you can make those Look at those metrics to Dan's point. Then I don't think you're looking at it as a cost center anymore. You're starting to say, man, this could be a profitability center for me. Mm. Done yeah. right. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, like the, you know, my in in CSQLs, the team probably pays for itself um you know, in, in expansion opportunity. Like a, a good CSM org should be able to pay for itself in expansion opportunities that it finds. And like there's a whole philosophical debate debate around. Should CSMs like carry a quota for finding new opportunities, which I obviously firmly think that they should do? Um, not that we want to turn them into a sales organization because they're not. Um, and in fact, like that's part of their secret source, right? Is that they're not salespeople; they're they're hundred percent aligned on the success of the comp- of the of their, their customers. But just as a natural byproduct of the great things they do, they will find uh, opportunities. Um, and I think a good a good CS team will will should be able to pay for itself you know, on its own. Um, well, then they also become val- really valuable to the sales team too, because now yeah, for sure. you were talking about your former company where you never really talked to a CS person. Now, if I think that CS person is really valuable, has some insight into what's going on in the company, and probably they're telling the CS person some things that they're probably not telling the salespeople. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, now exactly. I want to have conversations with my CSM. And I want to know what's going on, and I want to have a relationship with them. In fact, we had Mark Robert on, and he was, you know, the former CRO over at HubSpot. He got to the point where he was, and they were more inside sales, so it wasn't, you know, enterprise outside sales. But he wound up taking desks and moving the CSM people mm-hmm. to face, like, put put desk to desk with the salespeople, so that they actually would be a team. And they could talk about the successes or failures of particular customers and what they're doing yeah. right and what they're doing wrong. So once they become more tightly integrated, I think then the power of CS 
and the CSM organization becomes, you know, paramount to the success of the company. You you made a good you made an interesting point earlier in, uh, around the 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 expansion or like what is the lost opportunity cost of a churn customer, and I think churn is almost like the tip of the iceberg. Um, so like a, especially for a company like Mongo where we win like workload by workload. So like if we win, you know, um, you know, a, a, a large enterprise might have tens of thousands of applications. I'm like, you know, we'll, we'll win one application with one sales cycle. And so, um, you know, reducing churn is actually just, it, it's, it's harder to measure like the opportunity cost. But you know, if, if we, if a customer has a poor experience uh, with us as a vendor, we might still we might not lose that initial workload. Let's let's say it's like a hundred grand a year, right? We we might not lose it because there's nothing wrong with it. But if they have a poor experience, like with support or with the sales team or with CS, or they just you know the product isn't like amazing. Think of the next ten projects that they need to select a, a, a database for. Like we we will never get a look into those, and and it's very difficult to measure like that that lost opportunity cost. But like the churn itself is is really just the tip of the iceberg. Um, yeah, you know, referrals, other projects, people moving to like you know they move to the next company and they pick up the phone and bring you in, or they don't. Like the the that's what I'm saying. That the the lost dollars is just actually a very small part of it. Yeah, like you said, the churn risk is the lost renewals. They result in lost expansion opportunities or or referenced opportunities, and then you have the capital risk, right? Of you know the high cost of lose constantly losing customers and having to get new customers because it's so much more expensive to get new customers than to hold on to the existing ones. Yeah, yeah. And then your third point is really the competitive risk. Every time I lose a customer, that's an opportunity for the competition to come in and take my place, and for them yeah. to expand if they do CSM right. Yeah. Right. If they do, I'm not CSM. even losing the customer. It's just like you know, it's um, it's 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 just if we didn't delight the customer. You know, it's it's like um, you know, I think I think just having a great product on its own isn't isn't good enough. Um, you know, it's like uh, if you go to a restaurant and the food's great but the service is horrible, you probably wouldn't go back. Right, right. So, so I got a question. You guys are talking about reference customers. I love this conversation because you know today's uh, today's metrics create tomorrow's proof points. So we kind of made that link. And now from a proof point perspective or a reference customer perspective, I'd like to hover a little bit here. Um, how do you, Dan, ensure things like um, maybe cultivating advocates as one area? I'd like that's a that's a big topic of conversation typically in the post sale. And then um, and then what I'd also like you to talk about is um, in your process, how do you um, ensure that you're helping the customer and your people rise above the noise. And I'd like to slip into like, kind of like economic buyer engagement in your process. First, sorry, I'll go back. How do you cultivate advocates? Or do you do that? Or or, or is, there, is there a process for that? Uh, yes. Um, so actually, one of the one of the things that we, um, so kind of a good segue to one of my other uh, teams. So one of the one of the new teams that we built last uh, launched at the beginning of this financial year was our account management team. Yeah, and so the idea of this was twofold. One was how do we drive a more cost-effective 
way to service some of our more mature customers. Uh, but the other thing is also like, how do we meet our customers where they're at? Yeah. So like, if you're, you know, if you're a, um, you know, if you're a digital, like kind of native startup company, you've, you basically built your app on Mongo. Um, you know, there might be additional workloads to go and acquire, but like you've kind of, you're all in on, on Mongo as your platform. What you need from us as a partner, you don't need a rep like Colt calling every developer in the organization. You're already all in on Mongo, right? Like that's not, it's not really what you need as a company. And so we built this account management function specifically to deal with those customers in that advocacy stage. And so their job is to build long-term partnerships, meaningful relationships, and to create, um, you know, champions and uh, advocacy champions for us in those companies. They're, you know, it's kind of almost like selling from within. Like, yes, they carry a number, but yeah. really their job is to just to build like meaningful long-term relationships. Um, and so like we've actually, coming back to what I said before, we've been like super deliberate about our segmentation in terms of how we actually align our go-to-market based on like what the needs of the customer are. And what about um, with all, so so you have kind of like almost, you have influence end-to-end -end on the customer journey, it looks like. Um, what advice could you give people out there on, and even with a product like yours, economic buyer involvement during the engagement? Do you have any, do you have any wisdom there on when, how? Uh, I'd be interested to hear your perspective on that. Well, um, I think it's changed over the actually changed over the the last few years. Um, you know, when I when I joined Mongo, and you know, we we're very much uh, like a you know a medic, slow down, go high, build a business case, yeah, um, like slow the sales process down, build consensus. Like that was our kind of our. Our playbook really, um, and obviously getting to the economic buyer and and doing our go no go was like a key part of that process. One of the interesting sort of dynamics or changes in a consumption world, uh, especially with the way that people kind of build applications today, is um, it's a little bit more in a lot of companies. It's more developer centric. It might yep. be like a, a you know squad leader or senior developer that actually gets to pick the technology. And um, they might not be the economic buyer. They're probably not the economic buyer. They're certainly not when they get started, but at some point they may, you know, they, we would need to get hired. In that kind of situation, um, the the sales process, the way you engage those customers needs to be much more agile. It's kind of meeting the, meeting the customer where they're at. And so it then actually pushes the onus of how do you then capture the business value and then make sure that you can then almost like go back post sale and make sure that the economic buyer understands the value that they're getting from their investment. Because, you know, some of these, um, some of these applications might start on a $0 contract. They might be spending like a thousand dollars a month. Suddenly the app takes off, goes live, you know, and they're spent now they're spending a hundred grand a month. And at that point, somebody's going to care about how much they're spending. And so it's that finding that kind of, it's like a different engagement, different point of, uh, of engagement. Um, but but no less important, maybe just later on in the in the process. You're highlighting something I just want to um, uh, say for the audience. How you, in my opinion, how you know you're doing it right when you can map the customer's journey by what your people do and how they do it, and map it to outcomes. I call it a champion letter. 
on any account that you have inside of your company, if you can't right now, especially in a consumption model, if you can't right now write a letter to the economic buyer or an email to the economic buyer highlighting the champions, what they've done, what business problems they're addressing, how they addressed it, how they gave you the proper information to make a you know to make a great uh, you know great implementation, and then finish it off with a proof point. Those are companies that you keep for life, and we call those champion letters. Um, so for our listeners out there, if you if you talk to your people right now and you say, hey, let me, let me see your top 10 accounts, whatever. Okay, these are my top 10 accounts. Can you write a champion letter right now? If not, why not? And if you can't, in this world, you're a risk. So that's just a comment. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, love, love that, love that. I think it's also... Um... You know, things change, right? So like, you know, customer buys your software three years ago, you have a champion, everything's going great, champion leaves, Big software's time. still working, but like, does anybody there know the value they're getting from it? And so like that selling, you know, the selling doesn't stop when when you sign the deal. In fact, in a consumption world, kind of the kind of almost like the selling starts. Uh, and so being out of, it's one thing making sure that they're getting value, the other thing is also making sure they understand the value they're getting and they continue to get that value and the value they're getting. Yeah, I think you're also pointing out another reason why sales is getting tighter with CS is because to your earlier point, when you sold a subscription deal, the rep felt like, if even if I did a one-year deal, I have some time, I got time, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. And I got paid and it was pretty good sized deal. So I got a nice commission check. On the consumption, you're pointing out that even from the rep standpoint, I have no time. This thing could churn at any moment, right? I, I, I'm only paid on consumption and I'm paid on zero or a really small deal. The only way I make money is if this customer is successful and continues to consume. So that's why I need a really good relationship with you know, my CSM. Yeah, and it's at all levels because, like now, you know, now our forecast calls in a consumption model, our forecast calls, um, it's not like um, in a consumption world, like your forecast calls can be a little bit like pig measuring. Like every week, you get your tape measure out and you like measure it and see if it's got any bigger or not. But again, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't actually make the pig any fatter. And so, like now, our forecast calls are like cross-functional, right? So they're they're sales, CS, SA, PS, talking about the workloads that are in the funnel. Like, okay. Have we got you know a PS scheduled or anything we can do to accelerate the you know the timeline? What can we do? You know what risks are there? It's all about like you know the close isn't the signing the contract. The close is like when the customer's live, successful, and happy. And so it actually just completely changes the the focus. Yeah. Do you have a um, the the words operating rhythm are pounding in my head right now? And I find that companies that do this engagement model really well, they have a really well documented operating rhythm which is based on the customer's operating rhythm for things like QBRs or whatever, you know, what do you call the interaction between your sales organization and the customers at a periodic point of time, at those points of time? What, what, what does an ideal operating rhythm look like? I mean, we, we, <clears throat> being honest, like I think, you know, I think we, we, we don't have a super structured. I think because of the nature of how, because we're very app by app. Yep. Uh, it's not like someone buys Mongo and it's like wall to wall Mongo. We have multiple different champions, multiple different projects, all with like different timelines. So it's less structured from like a calendar perspective. Like you know, once a quarter we we do this. 
it's actually more aligned to we call it the workload journey so we, like, we, we, we effectively every workload every app that a customer puts on mongo goes through a journey and it's kind of aligned to like the software development life cycle you know they, they're in development you know they 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 go live they're in production and we kind of align our journey to that um on top of that we also have this like account maturity journey which is like how do you take a, a company from being a prospect all the way through to being ad you know in advocacy stage and so you know the the workload journey is workload by workload and so we have a you know a set of like activities that we do along that journey but then the 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 customer mature like the account maturity journey is is about how do we then like build you know executive sponsorship how do we build technical maturity how do we build um strong relationships with the partners so obviously we you know we we're part of a stack so how do we build relationships with the cloud providers with the SIs with other ISVs and so like building being deliberate about how do you help a customer improve their maturity of mongo is like a big focus for actually for for next year it's like a big big launch for us for next year now dan you've been in the role how long like two years now or more uh two and a half years now two and a half years so now when you look back do you think your background in sales helped you or hurt you in certain areas as a you know, senior VP of customer success. Can you talk maybe a little bit about here's where I know it absolutely helped me and here's where I had to learn one or two things. I definitely had to learn a few things. Um, <laughs> uh, I had to tone down my use of sporting analogies uh, a, a little bit. I've weaned myself off so, so many sporting analogies. Um, <laughs> Kaplan um, wouldn't uh, be able to make it in that role anymore. <laughs> um and uh and and you and you have to learn to modulate your kind of leadership style because it's you know it's different managing like reps and and rds and vps and it is managing like csms and cs leaders uh but it's been great that you know that, that it's been great i think i think it's less around um you know having a background in sales or not i think where i feel fortunate is having um worked for some amazing leaders in my in my time and learning a lot about you know development about recruitment um about you know just because you have a playbook that works somewhere doesn't mean it's going to work somewhere else like learning to kind of figure stuff out so so I, I don't know if it's necessarily my sales background I think it's more like having worked for some amazing leaders uh, and with some amazing leaders uh in you know in my time in sales has kind of given me this, I guess, the skills and the knowledge to adapt it to to what I do today. There are obviously some core transferable skills, like you know, customer facing and discovery and building champions and those kind of things. But I think it's actually it was more of those. Um, it was all those QBRs I uh, I did I did with you, John, back in the day. Holy smokes! And you're still alive. You're still alive. He's a better man. It's all it, it's it's uh it's all the stories about you know Grey Boy the Cat and John's inbox. They still they still live with me today. Yeah. Hey Dan, <laughs> did you did, were you like me? And the trick was just don't look him in the eye. And that BDI uh, that BDI he has, just don't look him in the eye. You're, you're everybody gonna... everybody's everybody's had uh, has had their pants pulled down by John in a QBR at some point <laughs> in their life. It's it's character it's character building. Amen. Um, but we used to have this saying, which is like, um, when you're on the savannah, you don't have to outrun the lion, just the guy standing next to you. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. That, especially in a forecast session. 
Exactly. Dan, you've exactly. always been a really good leader and always stepped up to no matter what, you know, opportunity or challenge that you had. But I always kind of thought that you were a little, had a little bit of um, more of an analytical mind also. Do you think that you have that and did that help you in the, in the role? Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 am definitely, um, very data driven. Um, and, uh, and, and combine that with like a strong intuition. So I think those skills are, um, have helped me in this new role. I think that the, actually one of the things I've done over the last couple of years, I've done a lot of work on like myself in figuring out like what, um, what gives me energy, what motivates me, what am I good at? What am I not good at? Um, there's a long list of things I'm not good at, but one of the things I realized that really gives me energy and that I enjoy doing and I am good at is is kind of being creative. So I'm like I'm like a problem solver. I'm, I'm, I'm I can come up with like innovative ways to solve a problem. And so like when you're building and scaling organizations from scratch or like transforming them, you need to be able to do that, right? Like you need to be able to analyze the situation, understand like what's not working and come up with a solution for it, as opposed to just like executing. I can do the execution stuff, but uh, I find the building and transforming and creating the thing that gives me most energy and, um, and you know, most most inspiring. Yeah. Cap, you have any more questions for um, Gosh, I, uh, you covered so much engagement models, metrics, uh, cultivating advocates. Uh, we talked about just some great things today. And, and uh, I think your perspective uh, by being involved in the, or the customer journey in your, in your own journey at different places of meeting the customer where they are, is just giving you a really good out an outlook on what that journey looks like from end to end. So I, I really enjoyed the conversation today. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, me too. And Dan, I, I think you've made a profound impact in, on, on MongoDB and bringing your leadership to the CS team. And I think that companies like Mongo that continue to really invest you know, in CS, I think it's a competitive advantage. Whereas like years ago, it was a cost center. Done right, it really is a competitive advantage, especially as you had pointed out multiple times in a consumption world. I don't know how it can't be done right can't be a competitive advantage so well done dan very kind of you to say it's been uh, been a pleasure spending the time with you again love the shirt and uh look forward to <laughs> look forward to uh to seeing you again soon all right Thanks, hey johnny so before you wrap it let's yeah. uh let's put a little plug in there for um and we can have our um we can have our producers put a little plug in there for Allison Pickens' episode on customer success that was done uh, last year. Wow, I can't remember when it was done. It was a really good episode. And she also wrote a book called The Customer Success Economy. Um, so I think that that will add a lot of value to the conversation that we had today. Thanks again, yeah. Dan. Good thanks, Dan. And thanks to everyone for listening to another episode of the Revenue Builders Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to check us out at forcemanagement.com.